Good morning. This is Ryan Berg, a research fellow at the American Enterprise Institute in Latin American Studies, and I'm joined once again by Eric Farnsworth, the Vice President of the Council of the Americas. And today we thought it would be appropriate to talk about uh, social media and the use of social media uh, by, uh, uh, by dictators and by autocrats. Uh, in particular, uh, this issue is, is salient in the Venezuelan context, uh, where recently Facebook decided to remove Nicolas Maduro, the dictator of Venezuela, uh, for a period of 30 days on the basis of disinformation uh, in, in regards to a, a fake remedy to the coronavirus based on the herb time that he had been marketing. Eric Farnsworth is someone who's been thinking about this issue for a while. So why don't you help us understand uh, what the issues at play are here, Eric? Well, Ryan, thanks. It's great to join you again. And uh, you're exactly right. These are issues that are new, they're important, uh, they're cutting edge, and we need to do a lot more thinking about them uh, in the context that you just laid out about authoritarians and dictators who frankly need the oxygen of mass communication to survive in power. And as we all know, in the modern age, the biggest uh, burst of oxygen and for mass, mass communication is uh, social media. Uh, and the use of the internet. And generally speaking, uh, the folks have had access to uh, US-based social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, others as well, uh, in order to be able to do several things. One is to spread their message throughout the world, uh, number one. And number two is to continue to consolidate their own rule at home domestically. So this provides a real number of challenges and very briefly uh, new challenges for the United States, if I can suggest. And it's uh, really timely for the U.S. to begin thinking about upgrading and updating our foreign policy toolkit to begin to uh, remove or have removed from various social media platforms leaders from countries who are already under U.S. sanction, perhaps as state sponsors of terrorism, or perhaps under the Global Magnitsky Act, or what have you. So uh, this is something that I think is going to uh, require a lot of investigation going forward, but it's clearly time, uh, in my view, to begin really thinking about how, from a foreign policy perspective and context, does the United States begin to integrate uh, social media access into a foreign policy context. Uh, these are issues, though, that have a lot of uh, complications, don't they, Ryan? I mean, from your perspective, uh, you mentioned Venezuela. Um, you know, how are some of these characters using uh, social media around the hemisphere or indeed around the world from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, I think it's, uh, as you mentioned, there's both an international dimension and a domestic dimension. The international dimension, uh, of course, um, uh, revolves around reducing uh, the, the impression of, of human rights violations, uh, reducing the impression that there's a sort of urgency to the situation, uh, that something needs to be done now, and that this is a crisis that is in desperate need of solution. And on the domestic level, I think it has uh, much more to do with not only shoring up the rather minimal levels of support that someone like Nicolas Maduro has in Venezuela, but also pushing disinformation, uh, which again was the basis for uh, his banning uh, from from Facebook uh, for for 30 days. So I think um, uh, that there are a number of dimensions here that are are quite interesting in the way that dictators and autocrats use social media. And you're you're entirely right, Eric. We've got to update our foreign policy toolkit here to consider whether this is actually a right uh, or, as I think we both believe, rather a privilege. 
Well, that's exactly right. And and there are obvious complications here. And uh, the idea that, uh, you know, it's up to the U.S. to tell uh, companies uh, who they can and can't have on their platform is going to strike some people as, as not the right approach. But I'll tell you, uh, there are several reasons why I believe that it is. Number one, again, we're talking about a very narrow class of people uh, who are already under U.S. sanction for human rights abuse, uh, state sponsor of terrorism, uh, global Magnitsky, uh, corruption sanctions, what have you. It's a very narrow group, number one. Number two, uh, we're uh, talking about U.S. domiciled platforms here where the U.S. government would have um, jurisdiction over. And for folks who say, well, that's not fair, you can't tell uh, private companies how to act, I would offer the rejoinder that, in fact, we do that all the time uh, in sanctioned countries like Venezuela or Iran. Uh, or Sudan or uh, other countries, uh, the United States is always telling our own companies, and frankly, sometimes other countries, companies as well, uh, how they can and can't uh, interact with sanctioned governments. Uh, and then I think finally, to make sure that this is a very narrow category and remains a very narrow category, uh, I think it would require a very senior level U.S. government, perhaps presidential finding or some such thing, to identify those individuals who would fall under this sanction. But I think it's timely. I think it's worthy of discussion. And I really want to thank you for, for raising these topics. But uh, uh, perhaps you have some uh, final thoughts on that as well. I like what you suggest, which is uh, a number of checks and balances with this process, with the findings uh, for, for who would still uh, have access to social media, American-based social media, and who wouldn't. And I think the, the obvious place to start is with that very basic uh, standard, the, the, the obvious um, and, and beyond uh, total disregard for human rights violations, et cetera. It's a good place to start. 